Hello, and welcome back to the Embodied and Sovereign podcast. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Leanne Brooke-Tyler. Leanne is the co-founder of Primal Happiness and a soul embodiment guide for the world, for world changers, misfits, and magical ones. Her mythical journey began when she leapt from the corporate leadership onto the path of spirituality. After she suddenly and somewhat mysteriously recovered from 15 years of chronic pain and anxiety. That inexplicable transformation led her to immerse herself in discovering what creates struggle and conversely, how to create a life overflowing with love, truth, beauty, and magic. Her work today is focused on leading men and women along the soul-led, open-hearted, sovereign path of waking the wild, guiding them to reclaim their wildness and actualize their deepest gifts. Leanne also lives in a 400-year-old quintessentially English country cottage with her husband, two children, and an array of ginger rescue animals. She is living into her vision of liberating wild souls to be the unique medicine they came here to be. Leanne, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, such a pleasure. How could I say no? Firstly, it's you, and then the name of your podcast? I'm like, <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> that's where I'm meant to be. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I wanted to, I was excited to ask you to be on here because I knew a lot of your messaging really resonated um, similarly. So, mm. yes. Um, so one of the first things, when I was actually reading your bio, um, I like to dig a little deeper with guests on the podcast on what your own journey was like. Um, I feel like this helps listeners who may feel lost or searching um, hear how others have gone through similar processes and give them a deeper sense of trust and faith. Um, I know in my own process, it has been so vital having role models and just knowing where they came from and knowing their journey. So when you shifted from the corporate world into soulful business, you suddenly had this recovery from 15 years of chronic pain and anxiety. Um, can you just share a little bit more about what was going on for you that led you to make this uh, big leap? Mm. It's just as well, you're not asking me back then because I didn't have the faintest clue. <laughs> I, re I would have been like, I don't know. <laughs> um, it took me a good few years to join the dots backwards and have some sense of what actually took place. And interestingly, each year that goes by, I guess I join another dot. And so anytime that I share the story, it's with this, um, I guess, a deeper understanding of what actually did happen. Um, so in short, the the catalyst to that was losing my father suddenly and I've shared in many different podcasts and uh, shows before that he raised me so we're a single parent family so we were incredibly close um, and I'd always had this kind of I think a deeper fear than is typical about the idea of losing him one day I, it was almost like verging on a phobia how it was you know I'd sort of imagine like one day he's going to die because hey he's human and people do 
And my goodness, I can't even imagine how would I continue? Almost now I look back and think it's almost like I had a premonition that my life actually would, as it was, mm. come to an end because that's actually what did happen, but not at all in the way that I'd feared. So he died very suddenly in a road traffic accident. And the following year was on one level, absolute hell. It, there were so many um, just terrible things happening in terms of there was a inquest in terms of mistakes that the police had made, that the ambulance had made. He had to have two post-mortems. There was just havoc being wreaked within my family. Um, it was an incredibly difficult year. It was a kind of like, not just dealing, just in quote marks, dealing with the death of my father, but just all of the things that had come as a result. Mm. And yet, simultaneously, and this came at the very day that he died, I just suddenly saw, oh my goodness, there is something so much deeper going on. Mm. And it was a very visceral very visceral, tangible sense I had, but I had no way of putting words to it. I actually mm -hmm. wondered at times, am I losing my mind? Because no one else seems to be thinking and feeling like I am. Everyone else is only seeing all the horror and the nightmares and the drama. Mm. And I'm, I can, it's not like I'm kind of floating above that. I can see that and experience that, but simultaneously, I just kept noticing such beauty um such connectedness um such love and over the course of that year I was just changing radically absolutely just thinking what the hell is happening to me I'm just not the same woman anymore but mm. in a really good way like the opposite <laughs> of everything I thought would happen yeah and towards the end of that year I realized that something had happened that was profound and was something I could use to help other people. If only I could describe it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but I was still at the point where I've like no idea what's going on. And I can see now in hindsight, and I really don't like words like kind of spiritual awakening, but really, I guess that's what happened. Mm. Um, it just took me a long time to uh, click on, partly because I had even then it's resistance to like, oh no, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a load of rubbish so um yeah and even now I, I really don't really um I think that gives us a kind of lot of weight and a kind of like a seeking that we need mm -hmm. to have an awakening so yeah um but I guess simply put that's what happened all I did know was there was something that I was experiencing seeing that if I could find a way to share that with others it could be helpful to others that's mm -hmm. the only thing I knew so I went on this quest to understand, you know, how could I in some way or other, like create an experience for others that allows them to see this, you know, is that coaching, is this therapy, is it this, is it this? And um, <laughs> this is, this is the most unspiritual part of <laughs> this whole story. <laughs> I'm standing in my kitchen, Googling, and I got this website up and it was about uh, a form of spirituality called three principles like an ascension path and this particular description was naming different facets of it and it said something like 
just really basic and what I'm about to say is not don't don't hold on thinking, <laughs> oh my gosh she's about to tell me <laughs> the answer to everything um but this one line said something really simple like thought creates your reality mm. and it was just like an explosion went off in my mind mm. and I I just stood in my kitchen like oh my goodness mm. oh my goodness nothing looks the same yeah. and so it's like the year that I'd had prior was almost like I think I'd kind of caught up with that and then something else had just in my head and coming back this is a very long-winded way of coming back it's been quite <laughs> short um coming back to your question so for the pr prior 15 years I'd had a very traumatic event which had left me with panic attacks anxiety chronic facial pain and I tried all sorts of things, including I've even been uh, prescribed anti-epilepsy drugs to mm. try and deal with the facial pain. And nothing had touched it. It just stayed the same all those years. Anyway, week after that Google in the kitchen moment, it all went. Just mm. like that. Wow. And so wow. I was then left with this like, okay, so I've had this year of kind of like floating around in, you know, a state of bliss to a large extent whilst dealing with all of the ramifications of my father's death I've now had this extra explosion go in my mind which has got rid of all these panic attacks anxiety and facial pain I really need to do something with this now mm -hmm. and so I then it was just clear like I do need to find a way of putting this out trained in that particular form of spirituality as a coach and I think it was five or six months later I'd left so I started that part-time around my job five or six months later left the corporate world and started on the path I'm on now so that mm -hmm. was 2013. Okay hmm. all right yeah that I feel like I like asking this question to people because it is it is so hard to describe you know especially while you're going through it like you we don't realize what's happening a lot of times and I, I think a lot of people can relate to being like am I losing my mind you know um what's going on like no one else seems to be talking about this or having mm. experiences like this um and even like you said like after the fact in hindsight it can still be challenging to be like what what did happen and I like asking it because it gives I feel like it gives us like clarification for ourselves too like when we inquire within ourselves like okay these this is what happened even like um and offering that more depth and insight in your own work too right mm. like okay this is what okay a little more little more is clicking of like what did yes. happen with me <laughs> yeah so it's such importance in telling our stories mm -hmm. yeah, I, I see yeah it's, it's probably once a month I see something else like oh wow yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that yeah. took a while to see but yeah it's just how it is mm. yeah um so in one of your youtube videos i was watching um on embodiment of the feminine which is a particular interest of mine um you describe an aspect of your work as the um descent into the feminine like into the body and kind of how this process is like an initiation or rite of passage into adulthood, into sovereignty. 
And I would just love to hear a little bit more about how you usher this process for your clients. Mm. It links actually to a large extent back to what we we're just talking about now. This, when we're having this call, whether it be a kind of this gentler sense of being called towards something or kind of being plunged into some form of awakening or descent, we have very little in the way of models and guides in mm. our culture. Yeah. Uh, which is why it can be such a scary and confusing experience. Mm. And when we look at indigenous cultures, it's just not that way. We have that, that guidance and those role models absolutely baked into the culture. This isn't just left to chance. This isn't yep. left to an individual to just try and figure out what the hell's happening. In fact, um, the podcast that we'll be releasing next week is with a chap called Tim Corcoran, who part of his work is guiding boys into initiations into manhood. Oh, Sorry, my dog's wrong. That's okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, starting from a very young age, there'd be these initiations, these rites of passage, where we're taking people through different portals that allow them to experience a different way of being, to step into this mm. next stage. And that's just lacking terribly in our culture. We are just bereft of that understanding, let alone mm -hmm. the actual experiences and being held through those experiences, guided yeah. through those experiences. So as Jonathan and I have, um, I guess, created the body of the work we do now, Wake in the Wild, we really have been very influenced by what we see as innate, natural, uh, essential even to human beings when we are thriving when we are living in the way that we're actually designed to live that we evolved mm. to live and so we are very consciously creating those experiences for our clients the work the entirety of the work we might do with someone whether that be uh, in a one-to-one -one package or a group package the entire thing we are very clearly naming like this is initiation mm. this is you walking through a portal through which you will be integrating what's in shadow and then coming out the end of it into this expanding person expanded person the person you came here to be and so specifically linking to the question you've asked around the descent um i really love bill plotkin's work um mm -hmm. i don't know if you've read his had his books so very much about this path of the soul and uh, wilderness as being one of those portals and he has this beautiful kind of map let's say of the human psyche and talks about the ascension path which are those kind of mainstream forms of spirituality which is really kind of like yeah. ways to understand that non-separation that that of us that is all and yet we are here as individual humans in these mm -hmm. unique beautiful forms and are here I believe to have our own unique experience mm -hmm. and as far as I see and this is again using Bill Plotkin's naming of this the descent is actually to go more deeply into ourselves so mm. the ascension is to go out of ourselves into and again there's nothing wrong with this all is needed yeah. but there's that kind of ascension to spirit and the descent into our bodies into our souls into that connectedness with the earth mm. and so 
if for example I'm working with a woman they'll begin that very clear naming they're, they're working with us and it depends again they could be a particular type of work right now we're leading a circle waking world medicine which is very much about people becoming their soul work it could be in one of our one-to-one packages waking world sovereign which is as the name says mm-hmm. <laughs> becoming sovereign but the whole thing is held in this deep understanding this is you returning deeply into yourself the whole work is an initiation the mm-hmm. whole work is you becoming what well, another way of describing sovereignty is a true adult mm. no longer being run by those um compulsions that are really those fear-based patterns from childhood stories, which is really how most people operate in mm-hmm. the world. They're adult yeah. in name, but they're really emotionally children right. until they've done this work, until they've gone through these initiations and become true adults, fully embodied, mm-hmm. power integrated. So it's no longer in shadow, it's shadow, it's back into their bodies and here available to use consciously in alignment with their will. Mm. so I think that answers the question yeah. <laughs> there was a lot um, there but uh, I just I love I, I could listen to you talk about this forever I, ex- I absolutely love it um and I think that's yeah that's one reason I I resonate with what you share so often is um you know this this idea that it you know um it is important to have that feeling of oneness right that but it's I feel like a lot of our spiritual culture like neo-spiritualism focuses on that quite a bit mm-hmm. and not so much on our unique individuality. And that's why, like, for, you know, I think probably for both of us, like embodiment and sovereignty is so, it's like the balance to that oneness. Like we're we're not meant to just be all one or we wouldn't be in these individual human bodies, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, what would be the point? <laughs> yeah, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, so sovereignty is one of your, the three tenets of your work in your program, Waking the Wild. Can you just share a little bit more about um, why sovereignty? Mm. I just had this uh, smile come over my face thinking about the first time that Jonathan mentioned sovereignty as a kind of, as a, I guess, a principle um which now I don't know how many years that was but I remember when he first said it it often is the case the amount of times Jonathan's been right about something that years later I'm like I'm sorry in fact I did exactly the same with embodiment actually that's just reminding me too. <laughs> I'm very used to eating humble pie so it was all good um yeah so um I guess the the reason that this is so embedded in our work and it really is you know it doesn't matter whether our program is called Wake the World Sovereign mm. or it's any of our other programs it's always integral to everything we do mm. because without it it's so easy to get um, lost in that swamp of victimhood mm. it's very easy as particularly the depth of the work that we're doing with people we are taking them right back into those old stories that have been running their lives we're taking them right into their wounds mm. this is deeply painful very emotional very potent material that we're working with and without that lens of sovereignty it's so easy 
to become identified with it. And I, th- I see this yep. often happening in a child work too. Again, amazing body of work, shadow work, really amazing, powerful work. Mm. And what can very much happen is we become identified with yeah. the pain, identified yeah. with the wound, identified with the struggle, identified as particularly again with the inner child. Mm. And from there, there's no adult in the house. Yep. We end up being the child as opposed to someone who can be in relationship, hold, see, tend, love the inner child. Mm. So it's so clear to us, it's essential to do this work well, where people do end up actually reclaiming their power in a way that they can consciously use it. Sovereignty is essential. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we're doing everything through that same lens of victimhood, which isn't going to allow you to create anything that's in alignment with your true vision. Mm. It's not going to allow you to create anything that's in alignment with love. So while, you know, our other two tenets are that open heartedness, i.e. kind of doing everything from love. The other part is being led by soul, doing what you came here to do, but without sovereignty, I don't think either of those other two things are possible. It really yeah. is the, the part that creates that sense of, I am able to choose my reality, create my reality, choose how I respond. I mm. do not need to be a victim to anything, including mm-hmm. my past, including my wounds. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it's, I think if, if you're doing that kind of depth of work it is probably dangerous honestly mm-hmm. to do it without the focus on sovereignty too yeah I can totally see that I've, I, I can definitely see past experiences where like it it does seem like damage has been done more than um I mean the self-reflection is helpful you know obviously but um yeah without that sense of empowerment it's um it just yeah it makes it makes people feel more helpless and yeah victimized yeah it's really in a way reliving the original patterns yeah we think that for most of us those wounds were created in childhood and were to some extent created because there wasn't a true adult in the house Mm -hmm. metaphorically and literally yeah if we then go back to do the work to look at those patterns and there is no true adult in the house right same thing again yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, because um, you work with men and women, um, do you hold a similar process for both? And do you notice any general like overarching differences between like uh, the processes between like what men and women go through, like through this um, kind of initiation or this rite of passage? Mm. So the those tenets are absolutely the same you know again goes yeah. through everything we do no matter what the program is no matter mm-hmm. who the person is and yet we see that part of that honoring who we are includes our biology mm-hmm. and includes our lived experience mm. yeah and so if we're working with a woman we will absolutely be in the work of guiding her, as I said, back into a body, which is a woman's body. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's, for me, just so fundamental that she has that deep, deep intimacy 
with all parts of herself, deep love and reverence for her menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. complete yep. connection with her breasts, mm. complete <sighs> this sense of just being able to open and relax sexually. These mm. aren't just kind of separate little things that you can kind of ignore. Yeah. Again, when we want to bring all power back to be able to use it in that way that is conscious and in line with our will, you know, particularly when we're talking about sexuality, like, wow, so much of our power is held there. Mm-hmm. So it's the, the real differences will be partly that in terms of, you know, what, what does that mean for a woman, say, biologically and reclaiming herself from those places that have been wounded or frozen by trauma? And the same for a man. And then there's also the archetypal lens in terms of the archetypal feminine, the archetypal masculine. And for, and I don't think there's any kind of coincidence about this. It's obviously because of what we're putting out there in terms of the world. I have a complete devotion to embodying the divine feminine. Mm, Yeah. That is a vow I've taken. Mm. And so women that are magnetized to come and work with us they know that and chances are they also feel that deep call otherwise they would choose a different teacher so a big part of our work will be being in that very conscious choosing guidance of what that means for that again unique woman Mm -hmm. to embody that archetypal energy it will be different to how I embody. There's no right way. There's not a right way to be a woman that each of us will have a unique way of doing that. It'd be a unique channel for the feminine. Mm-hmm. Or the same again for a man. But because of that, it's not something that, um, again, I see as separate or kind of like a facet of our work. It's if you've come here as a soul who has a call to embody the feminine, that belongs right in the center of the work. Mm. It isn't yeah. something that we can kind of like do as an offshoot or is kind of like only for some. It appears to me that for every one of our clients, they will have some degree, firstly, of wounding mm-hmm. around their own bodies, their lived experiences as a man or a woman. They'll also have some wounding around the masculine and feminine mm-hmm. and that likely will have some degree of calling to embody those energies more consciously. Mm. So the differences are very, you know, they're unique to each into person, but certainly, because you can probably hear in what I've said, there's vast differences really yeah. between the work we do with men and women for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always like to ask this question too. So when you're working with your clients, what is one of your favorite experiences or realizations to witness and facilitate for them? Hmm. This is linked to sovereignty, as we were talking earlier. Mm. And sometimes I notice this happens in a kind of one moment where they suddenly see this clearly. Sometimes it's a growing realization that does come with some resistance understandably but really it's that realization that they are Mm. that creator of their life they are not beholden to anyone they are not victim to anyone they're not on the mercy of anyone 
They mm. choose. Yeah. They can create life as they want and they are creating it already, even if they've not been conscious of that. Yeah. And again, we go in and out of that awareness. Sometimes that looks less available than others. Um, but there is definitely this point we reach where we can't unsee that is a is a point I see that once we've seen that clearly and deeply enough it lasts mm -hmm. we cannot go back after that point and often like notice there's a point in our work with someone where they're like right up against it what I call it the sovereign price where there's like a life change they want mm. to make and it's going to come at a cost yeah and so I call it a sovereign price like it will cost you and yeah. you know it's an alignment yeah versus the victim price which is Karen as normal you kind of have your cake and eat it but it's not a particularly nice cake yeah um and there's this kind of like oh this is so hard and it's kind of you know yeah and you've reached a point you can't go back yeah. I'm afraid mm, yeah <laughs> you know you're creating this you know you can create whatever you want <laughs> there's yeah. just no going back from that so that's my uh that's my favorite favorite thing and there is also that part of me that sometimes feels a bit sadistic because <laughs> <laughs> you can see I see my clients like god damn it like yeah <laughs> life life's so much harder now I can't just blame other people for right it. right of course the rewards <laughs> are more than worth it <laughs> uh I can so relate to that <laughs> um, yeah um what are some of your own like personal tried and true tried and true rituals or routines that help you cultivate a deeper relationship um with your own embodied experience mm. Funnily enough, I was just talking to my magic teacher about one of them today. I'm going to, going to mention two, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, different. yeah. Um, the first one is the one I was talking to my magic teacher about earlier, and it's something I've probably done now for maybe three years. And it's only in maybe the last year I've become more um, insistent, let's say, in our clients also doing this ritual, which is... The first part's the creation of a decree and mm. it's very clearly named a decree as in you are deciding this is how you show up this is mm. how you live um and that decree has got several parts it often includes a medicine name um a unique version of a particular archetype it then has aspects of your unique genius. It has aspects around your sacred vision. It might include something or uh, someone that you've made a vow to. Mm. And so that's the kind of first part of it is creating that, which in itself requires a lot of work. You know, it's, it's deep work to even uncover those aspects of yourself. Once that's then created, we speak that into being every morning, speaking mm. into, into being, this is who I am. This is who I decide to be. This is how I live this day. And I do mine uh, in the shower every morning and I have a kind of sigil that I write on my sort of steam in my shower screen at the same time as <laughs> yeah. I speak it out. So it's kind of got lots of elements as in it's got the voice, mm -hmm. it's got that kind of embodied energetic of who mm -hmm. I've come here to be. And at the same time, I'm working the sigil at the same time as I, as I speak it out. So that was... I think, again, it took me time to actually realize how powerful that was. That's mm. what I was saying to my magic teacher earlier. I think for the first couple of years, I think I was just doing it. Not really. It felt like a good thing to do. Mm. 
And I had no idea, was it making a difference or not? And there was a point where I haven't got science to say this is really making a difference, but I know it is. Mm. I know it in my bones. This is creating a change. So that, again, for me now has become non-negotiable, certainly for myself personally, but also for our clients. Like, Mm. why wouldn't you choose to do an act that is so powerful doesn't actually take any extra time as in it takes as long as I'm in the shower in fact this morning I had 15 minutes to get ready I was (laughs) laying in bed at a quarter I was working on my phone but I was laying in bed still I I tend to do that in the mornings and um I suddenly realized I don't normally start work till 10 and I suddenly thought oh my goodness I've got a call at 9 30 and I've got to wash my hair (laughs) and so I dived into the shower and I was washing my hair and I remember thinking like, yeah, when clients say they've not had time lately to speak their decree out, here's me going from <laughs> laying in bed, in the shower, washing my hair, and then I'll be kind of like getting my makeup or dry hair in 15 minutes and I still have time to speak out my decree. Yeah. <laughs> There's no excuses, God damn it. <laughs> so um, that's the first one. The second one um, is a very very simple practice and it's one of the ones I invite women into often one of the first practices which is simply breast massage mm. and no kind of like right way of doing it just use some kind of usually a base oil I use jojoba plus mm. an essential oil I use rose essential oil for everything mm. and just simply putting some of their hands massaging their breasts in whatever way feels good for them for as long as it feels good for them but the main thing is just to be really present really um in that complete awareness of the experience of the sensations and what that means for them and that really simple ritual I've had so such incredible feedback from women, the profound differences that's mm. made for them in terms of the connection with their body, connection with their breasts, their um, going from a kind of almost like loathing experience of their breasts mm. to something that actually feels really beautiful. Mm. Um, a deeper connection with their body more generally, um, like so many incredible stories just from that one simple ritual. So it's become one of my favorites. It's again, something I do actually twice a day, I do it morning after my shower and then before I go to bed. And um, again, it's hard to know for sure when you've been doing things for so long, like what li- yeah. what actually is happening. Yeah. But even me, little miss kind of science brain, there's a point <laughs> where you're like, no, it works. It's really powerful. And uh, yeah, so for me, they're kind of two absolutely non, I have others too, but they're two really non-negotiable yeah. rituals. I love that. I wanted to say with the, um, you know, stating your decree in the shower, I find, um, you know, just being in water, like being in a shower or being in a tub or swimming, um there's something I you know I think it's quite a feminine element as well and it's you know in the shower I often have like some of my best ideas come to me and it's like Mm. the most inconvenient moment because I can't really write it down or anything but um I feel that water element somehow like brings that more alive in me somehow Mm. yeah so yeah I, I like that definitely I uh, often refer to the bath as my water temple. Yes. uh, Yeah, I mean, I have baths all the time, but particularly, I think there's like times where 
it just feels like yeah it's a lovely place to be but then on Saturday morning in particular that is very much a ritual that's mm. very much me going into my water temple my husband takes the children out and it's me in that bath for you know a couple of hours sometimes yeah completely in that temple yeah nothing else exists <laughs> mm, I love it I like to ask this question always too um so what is who or what is one of your greatest sources of inspiration and why? Mm. Can I give two? Yes. I'm not actually the second That's fine. That. <laughs> fine. I'm greedy. That's all right. <laughs> I, I must admit, I uh, often say I love a woman in her appetite, but it's mainly because... <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> I need good. to say that because I'm constantly of mine. <laughs> um, so the first one, they're very different, the two people I'm going to mention. The first one is Elon Musk. Mm. And he gets a ton of criticism. Um, he's in no way this kind of perfect being. And there's a couple of reasons that he is a kind of inspiration for me. One is that ability to risk being delusional, mm. seen as delusional, spoken about as delusional, He's in the business of imagining things that are beyond most people's imagination yeah. and then taking aligned action on them. And the, as far as I'm concerned, we need people like that. Yeah. Whether or not you agree with what he's doing, like what he's doing, to see someone living in a way that we only often see in films. Right. To me, that is as inspiring as it gets. That just for me mm. is magical I mean that is a magic a magical act living yeah. that way so there's a, a secondary part to this which is very very recent um I only found out uh I don't know three weeks or so ago that I'm autistic um what was called Asperger's years ago it's now all called uh autism and it's quite it's funny it's like he and I are kind of lives mirror he's literally just announced that he, he mm -hmm. described us as Asperger's but he's just uh, announced that he's got Asperger's which was blatantly obvious anyway it's not exactly uh, mm. <laughs> it wasn't like I didn't think he probably did yeah right <laughs> um but again for me and for others who are on the spectrum and certainly for younger people growing up we really need those role models to say mm. that as far as I'm concerned, it's a superpower. Yeah. And we need pe people modeling these differences, these neurodivergences mm. as a superpower. And so that takes something he's already modeling to everyone. And I think to do it from that lens of someone who is autistic, for me, that mm. makes it even more important, mm. even more inspiring. Mm. So that's the first one. Yeah. <laughs> you expect me to, to say here, I'm guessing. <laughs> The other one is Maya Angelou. And mm. my goodness, as I was pondering this interview earlier, um, I went back and watched a video of her uh, reading her poem, um, probably for the, I don't know how many times I've, uh, I've re watched her reading this, but it's her reading, uh, Still I Rise. And my goodness, I'll send you the link to this particular reading because it's so powerful. But my goodness, 
as a model of embodied sovereignty, mm. someone who has come from, you know, we talk about those, that kind of wounding, my goodness, you know, such abuse, such wounding, and then alchemize it into this just absolute, it's like the word model doesn't even come close to what that woman is, what she's embodying, what she's showing is possible. I mean, she's just luminous. Mm. She's saying yeah. like, here I am and I can do and be whatever I want. Here I am. Yeah. And every time I watch that, it just, it, I can feel the activation happening mm. here in me. Yeah. It, oh. it shows me like yeah. that is possible. That exists my god um and it just yeah it's i can't think of anyone that is able to embody it to that level yeah. where again every time i watch it i feel like i've been kind of like reactivated all over again i literally mm. watched it like twice back to back earlier <laughs> and i've lost track how many times i've watched her read that in the past so yeah it's, it's like her her and her whole life as a whole but right. like literally you could take that one youtube video and that on its own is so inspiring. It could last you a lifetime. Yeah. I I believe I've watched it, but it's been a few years. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to touch back on um, Elon because, well, so I th these were people I wasn't expecting you to say, which I love. <laughs> I love when I'm like surprised. Um, and I feel very similarly about Elon. It's like, it, to me, it's like, I see this person. Um, at first I'm like, this person's like kind of crazy. You know, like years ago, I'm like, who does he think he is? You know, I would have a lot of judgment about it. And like more and more lately, it's like, I, I'm like, no, this person is a true visionary, like truly, truly yes. embodying that visionary um, sovereign person. And it's remarkable. And I, I completely agree that it's like, even if, even if you don't agree what he's envisioning, it's like that the level of which he is envisioning and making it happen is remarkable. It's so impressive. And it's yeah. in incredibly inspiring. Um, and with uh, Maya Angelou, <clears throat> I, I could be wrong, but I believe um, someone else that came to mind when you were talking about her is Oprah Winfrey, mm -hmm. um, who I think was mentored by Maya Angelou. Mm, I'm, pretty right, actually. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I'm pretty sure. But she just came out with this book that... Um, I just thought it just came to mind and thought it sounded interesting, but she just came out with this book about her whole journey as a child and what she went through and everything mm. um, that uh, sounds quite fascinating. And that same kind of alchemizing of, you know, her hardship and trauma as a child, especially, you know, a black girl in the South at the time that she grew up. So. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Again, it uh, doesn't leave us with very far to go in terms of being victimized by our own past when you right. see examples like that. Right. I know. It's like to, to see where she came, like this book, um, you know, she's shared bits of it on social media and it's like to see where she came from and, you know, knowing who she is now, it's like, okay, there's a lot of potential that a lot of us aren't tapping into, right? Along some of the, the earlier questions, um, when we talk about the masculine and feminine, some people like intuitively understand this kind of as, a, as an embodied energy or two sides of a polarity like yin or yang, day and night. 
they're kind of opposing but inextricably intertwined and harmonized when it's healthy. And yet many people still don't really understand. They, it's conflated with gender roles or unconscious judgment that often causes like dysfunction or misunderstanding or disconnection in relationship with ourselves and with others. So I'm not sure how often you still get asked to describe this like kind of masculine and feminine with people that you work with, but I would love to ask you now just how I would like to hear in your words, like how you share this with people. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't tend to get asked that question very much anymore. And I used to I don't know if I ever have actually been asked it that much, but I think I used to not get asked it because I used to come out with a whole bunch of caveats. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of like, there's no question left to ask because I right. want to cover everything. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way anyone could be offended or misunderstand <laughs> because I've said everything there is yeah. to say. There was definitely before yeah. um, not much being asked just because of that reason. In, in the last couple of years, um, as I've not been um so interesting caveating I still haven't and it may just be because by the time people kind of find their way to me and our work they've already got got a pretty good Mm -hmm. sense of what we're about but I will still answer your question so um because I have such a deep love and reverence for archetypes um I shared, I think, a couple of days ago that that was true right from a very small child. I was obsessed with myths and legends and, um, you know, in a really, like, well, autistic, mm-hmm. <laughs> obsessive way where, you know, I used to just read and learn about all the different kind of Greek and Roman myths and legends. And not realizing then that I'd kind of ultimately end up working with archetypes mm-hmm. day in, day out as an adult. And I think that's a really helpful lens through which to see the masculine and feminine, because just as as we all have this very deep, innate understanding of archetypes like king or queen, we're going to have our kind of unique filters on that, sure. But I could ask anyone, you know, what do I mean when I talk about a queen? They're going to know. They're going to have like thoughts feelings like visual images come to mind they're going to know they're not going to need me to tell them what that means similarly for a king so we work with all sorts of archetypes in our way priests priestesses magicians Mm -hmm. like witches all sorts and similarly we have the same archetypal understanding of the masculine feminine Mm -hmm. and when we're looking at it through that lens it's very easy for people to recognize like, oh yeah, this isn't about kind of like what it means now to be a woman or a man or what I'm trying to rail against. We can see that these archetypes have shown up throughout history, across time, in all kinds of ways. You don't need me to tell you that. You can see it and feel it and touch it yourself. Mm. And of course, there's ways that we can say, Oh, so, you know, the feminine's non-linear, the masculine's linear, and the masculine's the frame, and the feminine's the picture, or the Mm -hmm. feminine's the river, (laughs) and the masculine's the bank. And it's not to say those aren't aren't useful things, but in some ways, 
I think they're overlaying with information something that actually is a very clearly felt experience mm. that is beyond again there is a kind of there's as far as I'm concerned our human biology is very important but it's actually mm. beyond that yeah and yeah. I think the more we can come from that like first principles understanding of these things and not need to kind of apologize for them or say it's not that and it's not that and I'm against that but just like mm. these things exist yeah they are you know they are I know they are make of them what you will and for me there is a kind of cleanliness that comes with that mm. where we can then be in a sovereign place of choosing into whether it's something that we want to make conscious in our lives if we are again for me there was a very clear sense of a calling to yeah. embody the feminine mm. and at that point it was a bit kind of like are you kidding me I'm a lifelong feminist mm -hmm. I was raised by a single father as a feminist um like hell no and, uh, <laughs> and yet um and so some people have a very clear calling like that sometimes yeah. it's a, a sort of more of a gentle recognition that something feels like this is their path but that comes from something beyond an intellectual understanding yeah. or nice ideas and interestingly I'm just going to say something this last piece I actually spent a couple of years going very deep into Taoism which is obviously you know very much made up with this uh, idea of yin yang mm -hmm. and we're very very deep into that but then also has that how that has a kind of modern application in terms of polarity and inversion and first principles strangely or not and I don't think it is from the lens of what I've just talked to you about when I then devoted myself to the feminine and worked in this way with men and women it doesn't actually make sense to me to really overlay what I know about yin yang with masculine and feminine. Mm. For me, they actually feel like they are um, ways of understanding the world and energetics that actually exist mm -hmm. in their own right. Are there similarities? Are there ways that sometimes it's useful to describe that way? Yes. I just don't because it doesn't make sense to me. Mm. And I think they're, they're two systems that are really powerful in their own right, mm. but we don't need to conflate them to kind yeah. of like almost ease one in under the tablecloth, if you mm. know what I mean. Yeah. For me, there is a very, very distinct, clear archetypal energetic of the masculine feminine that is undeniable. Mm. And, you know, we can argue with that if we want, but hey, as far as yeah. I'm concerned, it's there. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I never even thought of it this, that way where, um, because it's, I think it is so conflated in our language when in this kind of work where we, we say like the masculine and feminine or, or yin and yang kind of put it together, even like I teach yin yoga and it's like, I'm like, yeah, it's like the kind of the more feminine kind of yoga, you know, in a way, mm -hmm. but, um, I, I like I that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. I just think, we're almost um, diluting yes. the power of them by yeah. kind of ways. And again, I do think sometimes it's done in a way to kind of like soften the blow a bit. Mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm done with that. Yeah. No, it's, I, I like that um, kind of pulling that apart more with its like original uh, meaning. Mm. Um, so we have a few minutes left. Um, and this, 
kind of segues perfectly into my last uh, share and question is so I first got introduced to you through a mutual friend who tagged me in a very beautiful and raw and poetic Facebook post about what women really crave from men um, underneath all of the guys and the facade. And this was back in 2018. And it got quite the social celebration as well. Um, and this post- yeah, Much to my <laughs> distress <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I do remember, I do remember like reading your like, your post about like, oh, should I have posted this? And we're all like, no, yes, you should have. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> and um, this post struck such a deep and resonant chord for me, particularly at this time, because I was in the midst of, you know, this feminine awakening, you know, spiritual, whatever you want to call it, a spiritual awakening, the descent of the feminine, it like, it had hit me that summer and it was so unexpected and I don't know what triggered it and it was a deep embodied visceral like knowing and I just immediately like understood the masculine and feminine in this totally like different way much more embodied and um not just the concept of it right and so when I read, when I, when my friend tagged me in this post, I'm like, yes, she gets it. Cause I was searching for people who really got it, you know, on this intuitive, um, deeper level. Um, so that, that poem still sticks in my mind sometimes. And, um, so I just wanted to ask if you would be open to reading it. Yes, I would. Thank you for asking. Um, yes, a very long time since I've read it. Um, it was interesting rereading it earlier and uh, feeling actually the same sort of rush of like, wow, that was really revealed. Mm. You know, I can always feel the echoes of that kind of vulnerability hangover yeah. that I had back, you know, what is that three years ago now? Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'll be very happy to read it oh, thank and, you so um, much <laughs> it's funny actually also because I read poems a lot every every circle that I end I always end with a poem and it's very rarely one of mine so it's, it's funny uh, I'm so used to reading poetry <laughs> but this feels really novel reading uh, on my own <laughs> well your words are beautiful thank you it's called lion men we want to tame you contain you, restrain you, take away your roar. There's no safe place for your strength. Your directness is a damned affront. Your hardness isn't welcome here. We want you on a leash, a chain, a ball, and your balls. There, you're no threat now. Aren't you a sweet little pussycat? Look how I make you purr. You pat me with declawed paws. I can hardly feel at all. At night, I dream of lions, stallions, warriors, and kings. Softness give ways to hardness. My heart melts, my blood runs hotter, my juices flow quicker. My breath beats the time of the song as old as time. The sun rises, you no longer do. As I recoil at my creation, my dream self tugs my sleeve and speaks. Her words are virgin shades of silk. Men, I hunger for your hardness. Your directness is my desire. 
your strength would soothe me, your roar rippling down my spine. The spell is broken, I watch for signs, that the dawn has broken when you will arise. Mm. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's, um, I always love hearing people's writing in their own spoken voice too. Mm. And um, just one, one last thing I wanted to say about that is it's also this sense of how, like when you talk about the declawing the cat, right? It's like tame and sweet. And it's, it's how also in a way we treat uh, nature itself, right? Treat um, the natural world and the earth and try to, you know, dominate it. And um, I just got that different perspective when you were reading it out loud. And that's also feels like this, when I was having this um, awakening, you know, years ago, this, not just in our own bodies, the, the imbalance of the masculine and feminine, but like on all levels, like how we treat our earth and um, the natural world as well, so. Oh, absolutely, yes. Can I just quickly say something? Yes, of course, is, uh, yes. You know, you know, our work is called Waking the Wild for very mm. much that reason. It's, uh, you know, one of my deepest soldiers loves. And it really is a case of us wanting to control men, life, the wild through fear. Mm. And which makes complete sense when we are scared, when we have got these wounds that have shown us that it's not safe to not be in control. Mm. And just as we can reclaim those parts of us from shadow to allow us to be soft and open and receptive to, in this case, men that we're talking about, absolute same thing is true for anything really in life. And again, as you're saying, especially the natural world, which is our heritage, yeah. it's where our DNA was born and raised. And, um, you know, I did a interview on Monday about this, that kind of return to the wild. And I was saying in that, you know, whether I'm, I'm training as a shaman and, you know, going to have some crazy experiences of submitting, like deeply submitting myself to the wild, you know, being mm. buried underground for a night, those kinds of things. Total submission, no control, mm. giving myself over completely to the wild. doesn't have to come like that. You know, for some people, that's just like, why on earth would you do that? Mm -hmm. But at least being able to allow yourself to go out into nature, be led by your belly button, give yourself over to her on its own can be such a such a simple but such a powerful act and i do believe again that for us to really return to ourselves to us to be to be embodied and sovereign requires us to reconnect with the wild mm. it's absolutely essential as far as i'm concerned mm. absolutely ah well thank you so 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 much for joining me today it's been such a pleasure oh complete oh. joy amazing questions thank you so much for the work you're doing Megan absolutely beautiful mm. so for our listeners if you want to find out more about Leanne and her offerings you can visit her website which is primalhappiness.co thank you so much Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. 
I also have a special free gift for all of my listeners. Just go to meganhart.coach slash gift. That's M-E-G-A-N-H-A-R-T dot C-O-A-C-H slash G-I-F-T. All my love to you. Until next time.